Hi, everyone. Welcome to a special Love, Rinse, Repeat. My name is Liam Miller, and I'm joined by two wonderful guests, previous guests of the show, friends of the show, we might even hazard to claim, Melissa Flora Bixler, who's, if you're watching in the gallery version, below, and Emmy Kegler, who is on my uh, left or right, I don't know what side it will be here. Uh, Emmy and Melissa, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat. Thanks. Great to be here. So good to be back. Yeah, so uh, part of why we did this, or what started getting me thinking was, so I interviewed you both about a year ago or a year-ish ago, around when your books were coming out, which I have here. Uh, Emmy's book is One Coin Found, How God's Love Stretches to the Margins. And Melissa's book is Fire by Night, Finding God in the Pages of the Old Testament. So, I mean, first off, congrats to your books are basically one year old. Uh, um, which is awesome. Uh, and then the other idea was that uh, this is probably a time at the moment with so many uh, like church buildings closing and the suspension of a lot of public worship. Uh, I mean, some of it's moving online that a lot of people are going to be reading the Bible or encountering the Bible outside of the framework within which they usually encounter it whether they read it or hear it, uh, surrounded by liturgy, preceding the proclamation of the word, things, things like that. Uh, now, some people maybe already are very familiar with reading their Bible at home, but maybe that's not everyone's experience or maybe they haven't done that in a long time. And so I was hoping that given both your books, uh, you know, to varying extents and with varying focuses, deal with reading scripture and, and one's uh, encounter with, relationship with, wrestling with, scripture I thought you would be two wonderful people to have talk about this that and I just like talking to you so it was a you know good excuse to, to get you together but before we get to the Bibles that's the spiel for everyone that's what you're in for if you if you tuned in um it's like as if they didn't you know pick it um without you know not seeing the title in the show description as if this is radio that someone just happened to be listening to uh but let's start with a bit of who you are so do you want to just talk a little bit about, you know who you are, where you're based, where you're ministering, uh, potentially how that's looking a little different now, uh, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll start there. Uh, my name is Emmy Kegler. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I serve as pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Northeast Minneapolis. It's a small neighborhood, uh, very servant-hearted community. One of our main focuses is um, food, food justice and feeding the hungry. So that's been a pivot point for us in the past couple of weeks is how do we continue the work of our church food shelf, which usually serves about 200 households a month um, and has folks come in and shop and be able to pick and choose the food that they um, will want for the next few days. Uh, now we have to completely change that, uh, considering you know social distancing practices and um, also just making sure we're handling everything in a much higher level of sanitary fashion than we have before. So that's been a focus of my work the past couple of weeks is reviewing with our administrator, like what can we be doing to make sure we're feeding folks? We've seen a huge um, spike in our client numbers. So that was really good that we did the pivot um, because we're, we're seeing a, a lot of people are in need and are anxious about food right now. Um, we've also pivoted to online worship. So um, I keep saying like worship is not canceled. Worship is just online. And that's been um, an interesting, you know, figuring out ways to overcome different technological challenges, both 
you know, what my capacities are, but also what are the capacities of the congregation. We have people who are very social media savvy. And if I say, you know, we're going live on Facebook at 10, they know exactly where to be. And I have folks who say, well, I don't have a computer at home. I don't have a smartphone. Like, how do I stay connected? And so figuring out how do we make sure we're bridging that whole spectra where normally we're able to come in and be in a physical place together and be able to bridge a lot of those gaps. Um, so that's involved um, some creativity and a lot of patience. Uh, and that's not one of my virtues. It never has been. So that's been an interesting uh, journey. And then, yeah, other than that, um, I also serve as founder and editor of the Queer Grace Encyclopedia, which is an online free encyclopedia on issues around um, sexuality, orientation, uh, gender identity, and um, the Bible and Christian life. And yeah, and I wrote a book, which you already covered. Thanks, Liam. <laughs> um, that's, that's kind of all I do. I'm also married. Uh, my wife is a veterinarian, and we have two dogs and a cat and a gecko. <laughs> Lovely. And I'm Melissa Flora Bixler, also she, her, hers, and I'm the pastor of Raleigh Mennonite Church, um, also known as the only game in town, only Mennonite Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. So um, we have also gone to online worship and we've been at that for um, uh, three weeks now, um, which has been a, a challenge, a, a huge part of our worship service is a sort of traditional Mennonite practice of uh, responding to the word and um, returning the interpretation of scripture back to the people. Um, and that is just harder for, to facilitate on a Zoom call. And so I think we've done some good things in terms of shifting that practice, but um, I know that there's a lot that's communicated in conversation and body language and, and being together and trusting one another with that interpretation, um, that really requires community. And so, um, that's, that's been a big shift for us and, and thinking creatively, but I also think, um, grieving, um, the things that we can't make up for in, in the platforms that we have right now. Uh, our church has been in deeply involved in the women's prison for several years and, we have women who um, are able to come out on a day pass and if they're picked up by, by a sponsor can come and worship with us in the congregation. Uh, there's no, no one going in or out of the prisons right now. It's um, sort of virtual, you know, we're more or less not virtual. I guess we have to be more careful with that word. It is more or less a lockdown right now in the prison system. And that's incredibly difficult for those women and also very hard for us uh, but in addition to that, we sort of moved ourselves into advocacy for prison and jail crowding. And we continue to see people placed in prison or in jail, excuse me, on pretrial detention, um, often because they just can't pay a bond. And this is a really dangerous time to be putting people with low level or nonviolent offenses into the sort of hotbed of um, coronavirus um, potential spread. Mm -hmm. So I um, have been trying to advocate in the ways that we can for, for people in, in prison right now and for um, reduced, um, uh, reduced sentence, getting people out who are, have a year or less on their sentence, uh, having older and infirmed people released on supervised release. Um, so we were sort of focused on that, um, but also around um, the 
fragility of North Carolina farmers right now. And a lot of small farmers who are, who are already sort of on the edge of, of their farms, not being sustainable and now not having as many people at farmers markets, restaurants being closed. How can we form networks to buy directly from them? Some of the things that they may not be able to sell in at restaurants. So those are the two ways that we sort of picked up um, some of the work that we normally would have done during this time has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that, I have three children who I am now also trying to facilitate teaching at home and a spouse who's trying to help with that too. And um, we had a very unfortunate guinea pig death in the family last week, just to like, you know, just to make things a little more extra in our, in our house. Um, but we do have one remaining guinea pig, um, a, a skunky, unfortunately named, um, but beloved to us yes oh thank you both so uh, we mentioned your books earlier perhaps uh just again as a little foray into into getting to know you do you want to give us maybe the quick uh elevator pitch of the book and or what what you got you to the book and then given that it's been out a year uh you know there's obviously been you know talk uh speaking events or conversations uh podcasts different things I'm curious how you found the the response to the book. Are there questions people are raising that you didn't expect? Uh, conclusions people are drawing that that are surprising? Uh, threads people are picking up? Sequels that they're demanding? Like what's uh, what's what's what? How have you found the response to the book so far? Um, yeah, and the little pitch for it too. Yeah, I'll I'll go first. Um... Yeah, the response has been great. Um, the elevator story to the book was uh, I was tired of after 33 years uh, of life and I don't know, 18 or 19 of being a gay Christian, people continually asking me, well, like, but how do you relate to the Bible and to scripture? Um, I mean, first there's the question of how can you be a gay Christian? And then after that, but like, well, what do you do with the Bible? As if, you know, like as a Lutheran pastor, I've just decided to completely ignore it. And my sermons on Sunday are just like on whatever TED talk I found most fascinating. Um, <laughs> so that, yeah. So the book is about like, what's my relationship with scripture like? And what, how has that been informed by my journey of understanding my own, you know, self and my orientation, but also how do they both inform each other? Like, how does my Christian faith inform who I am as a human being and who I am as a, a sexual and, and romantic being? And then also, how does who I am as a embodied queer woman inform my relationship with scripture and my call? And um, the reaction's been mostly positive. I think at this point, um, we've had so many really excellent books on you know, how it's possible to be LGBT and Christian that the uh, flack that people used to take for it, maybe even as little as five years ago, is now so diffuse um, that I didn't get a lot of hate mail. I certainly got some, you know, really interesting emails and such, uh, but it was really on the low end. And so what I had instead was people responding and wanting um, to use the book, especially in churches where they had not yet had conversations around LGBTQ people and how they sort of fit into Christian community at that church, which is funny because like we fit in the way everybody, like we've always been there. Um, (laughs) You, it's going to be very difficult to find a Christian church that doesn't have an LGBTQ person in just simply by percentages and statistics. But um, a lot of churches hadn't been able to have a, a productive conversation in part because 
most of the content that LGBTQ Christians were producing was apologetic and defensive, like don't use scripture this way, like it, this is abusive and this is manipulative and hurtful. But then how do we start showing the, the fact that we as LGBTQ Christians actually have a deep love for scripture? And so that's where the book was really um, directed and that's where it's ended up and that's been great. Um, so some churches have used it as part of their conversation around becoming affirming and I've been really um, blessed to be part of some of those conversations. I've Skyped in or um, been able to drive in and do some conversations with different churches in person as well. And um, the thing that caught me by surprise and the, you, know, you asked if there's um, sequels that have been demanded and uh, the thing that caught me by surprise was that I depicted in the book um, my own, just a really brief glimpse into my own uh, life with mental illness. I live with depression and with social anxiety um, which has been really fun under COVID. Um, just really, really emphasizing the need for self-care to be able to preserve any sense of um, an integrated self. And I briefly talk about it in some of the early chapters and people started saying like, no one's ever talked about depression that like that before. And I went, okay, well, I know that's not true because I'm really just repeating what better, smarter people have said. And yet there seems to be this hunger for, um, a consolidated sort of entry level, you know, theologically 101 based of like, how do we understand mental illness within the context of Christianity without falling back on sort of the stereotypical and very manipulative concepts of just like, well, Jesus said, do not worry. So just trust in Jesus and your anxiety will go away. Um, so the book that I'm supposed to be working on right now, but have been a little busy, uh, but I promise Lisa, I promise it will get done. Um, uh, that's my poor editor, um, is a better prescription pastoral meditations on mental illness. And so that'll be out uh, mid to late next year. Oh, how exciting. We'll look forward to another episode with Emmy at some point uh, when we get into that book. Uh, thank you for that. That's, that's really helpful. Um, Melissa, how about you? Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one more thing about Emmy's book first. Um, that I think something I would something else that was, that came out of that book, even though I, I know it's written sort of to be an, a, a piece that offers this conversation about LGBTQ Christians. It's actually also a really beautiful piece for anybody who's, um, feels a sense of calling to pastoral ministry. So it's, it, it's also a really helpful sort of look at someone's life as, um, for any person who is considering or wondering if what, what that call process is like and, and, and what may, what may be going on internally and, and getting to walk alongside somebody in that way. So I, I gave it to somebody for that purpose alone. And I'm so really grateful for that book that is in the world. Emmy. and that's the first uh, time anyone's said that specifically. That really means a lot. Thank you. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I was also kind of chuckling a little bit that both of our our books came out of places of feeling exasperated about <laughs> things happening around us, and, <laughs> and mine certainly did. Uh, I'm a Mennonite Christian, and so we have a strong commitment to nonviolence, and uh, we're pacifist Christians, and oftentimes that means that we encounter scripture in a way that can be dismissive of, of narratives that we, and um, we sense that, that are violent, that are, that have to do with war, that have to do with killing, with, um, 
enemies, all of those, those sorts of things. And so uh, there's been a lot of attempts, especially from, from Anabaptists or Anabaptist adjacent people to, to write the violence out of the old Testament. And often what that means is you, you come to the three quarters of our scripture as basically a problem to be solved. And um, I think that has not been my experience with the Bible. Uh, The first three quarters of the Bible have been breath and life and joy and hope and this story of a covenant with a people who God loves no matter what. And um, all of these other things that are very human stories happen in the midst of that. And so for all those reasons, I've, I've always been drawn to the old Testament. It's, there's nothing moralizing about it or, or easy or clean cut or um, so you can't quite get your hands around. It's such a human story. And, and so I, I wanted to be able to share with other people why, why the Hebrew Bible has been a gift to me. And, and to invite people into um, some new ways of, of seeing that as a gift, um, but without sort of giving a list of rules or, um, I think in the same way you were saying, Emmy, it's sort of like there's the apologetics books or here's how you do the hermeneutics of, of these readings. And, and instead, I, I, I just wanted to open the store and say, here's an invitation to walk with me in some of the ways that I read scripture and if some of these things are helpful for you, um, that's great. And I hope that they can be part of ongoing conversations about scripture with your communities and help you as you are formed. And that seems to be pretty well received. I, you know, I think there's, I, the funny thing about writing is that you, you often hear more from people who um, are, are on the, on the far end of upset about things that, um, that, that, that probably most people are just kind of right there in the middle. This was a fine book. Thank you very much. Um, you don't hear from most of those people. Um, it's people who really take the time to tell you that they're very grateful or, or very upset with you. Um, and, and I think that's just sort of what you anticipate after a few years of being a writer. Um, and, I, you know, I have thought about um, one of the one of the questions that sort of come out of this book for me, or, or, or sort of what are what are similar ways that we read the New Testament in in ways that perhaps are um, overstating a particular case. So if the if the problem with the Hebrew Bible is uh, that it's too violent, if that's the overstatement. I think probably one of the overstatements from my tradition, from from the New Testament, from the life of Jesus, is um, that we shouldn't have enemies. That we uh, that that Jesus is this a peaceful presence in a way that um, uh, sort of fits certain stereotypes about um, um, non-participation or, or reconciliation without truth telling. Um, and so that's sort of the place that I've been, I've been pushing in a little bit and seeing if there's some, some things that may come into another book. Thank you. That's, uh, that's great. And I want to say, um, that Melissa's book has been, uh, extremely helpful for me, especially in working with our queer community that we've 
launched out of Grace Lutheran, um, that we've been walking through trying to do Bible study around the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. And of course, all of us have sort of an allergic reaction to it because a lot of the passages that get pulled as clobber verses um, are pulled from the Old Testament. And so a lot of us have gone into this survival mode of like Old Testament God, bad and violent, New Testament God, fluffy Jesus. And like, which of course is is a completely inaccurate painting and also makes no sense, you know, sort of if, if Jesus is also related to the God of the Old Testament, then like, where's the flip switch? Um, and so your book in particular, just because you write... Um, just with such gentleness um, and you, you offer and like weave through so many different um, visuals and concepts and metaphors and life experiences that are just so like open. It's almost like, like eating at this really incredibly done buffet where everything is like just a teaser bite. And there's so many different paths I could go down sort of like theologically just out of one or two sentences. And it's been so, so helpful um, for me and just like forming my imagination better around the Hebrew Bible, but also to be able to recommend it to people who are like, okay, tell me a little more about where you went with this passage or that. And I can say like, great, here's, here's someone who can do this so much better than I can. So thank you for that. Oh, thanks. I mean, glad it's helpful. Mm -hmm. So we've already begun to touch a bit on, on some, maybe some approaches to reading scripture, uh, what we, you know, what people go looking for, what we should, what, what, how we might be open uh, to finding something else. So I guess let's move into now our, our more uh, focused discussion on, on reading the Bible. Um, I've got a Bible. Let's imagine it's sitting, it's sitting right here on the table next to me or in my, on my bedside table or wherever I might be. Um, how, does one, how does one pick up a Bible and read it? <laughs> well, how does one start? Like if... if is there like a thought on where, a thought on, on on what one does before one does, on on how one knows where to open it, where to start and stop, you know, the, you know, because I think sometimes we often take a lot of this for granted, and some people will have a okay, yes, it's, it's counterintuitive, but you you skip and you start at like Matthew uh, or some or whoever's you know favorite gospel of the person they want to um, recommend, but like you know, or yeah, you just try to read here's a plan and you read this much a day and you'll have covered it all. Or uh, before you start, you want to slow your breathing and, and just read this very small amount and read it again and again. What are your, you don't have to have a definitive answer, but what, what jumps in that first thing? How do you pick it up and start? Well, I can, I can say that in the first thing that came to mind is this idea of, of having personal individual printed Bibles is a very new concept. Um, I, I was just um, the guest uh, Shabbat speaker. My friend Eric Solomon is a rabbi and I was the speaker there a few weeks ago and, you know, they, they bring out the Torah scroll and, and lay it out and then different people come up behind the bima and and read and, and chant different portions of, of the Torah reading um, and in the Haftarah reading. Um, and then, and I, and I, it just was that reminder to me that, you know, maybe the, maybe the place to begin in scripture is, is, is this reminder that at, at least the forms that these were originally given, that they were started off being told from one person to another, um, that they were told 
passed down person to person within communities. And then they were written on one scroll that the community read together. Just to keep in mind that um, the idea of an individual Bible practice is something that that may be more challenging to us than I, than, than we realize. And so maybe even the first thing to say is if you can read it in community and, and start with, with church and whatever your church is reading, that that's a good place to start. I, so, you know, I, I think about how, especially those of us who use the revised common lectionary, maybe a good way to start is to say this week, I'm going to look at what came before and what came after. And since we had this sermon and this whole service built around this text, now I can get a better sense of what's happening before and what's happening after. So uh, that would be a, a good place to start. Yeah. Thanks for that. I think I was thinking about that a bit with, um, you know, if, if we were isolated in other times before the, the easy access of printed Bibles, I mean, printed is out now, it's your Bible on your phone. Um, but, but before that you'd have had, okay, what passages can I remember or can the people living in my household remember and we can, you know, pull it together that way. And yeah, something that, that is a helpful thing. Emmy, I think I, I, I Oh no, you're fine. No. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I thought first is like, I don't, it's, it's the only time that I've read the Bible sort of cover to cover verse by verse was in community. And I think I would have, you know, every time I've tried to do it on my own, I felt so overwhelmed and so pulled in different directions because almost immediately my brain starts going like, okay, well, what does this verse mean? Is it, does it connect to this? And, um, how is it translated in this other particular, you know, version or interpretation? And what does that interpretation even come from? Oh, it's out of this Southern Baptist context that comes out of this other, you know, informed by this seminary. And suddenly I'm down a Wikipedia rabbit hole. So um, reading for me in community helps me stay on track rather than thinking about all of the different directions that the text could go. Like, where is the text? Where is the, the scripture speaking and breathing into us as a whole? Um, and how does that inform, you know, who we are as individuals, but also who we are together. I do, though, like to read, um, I very rarely read without immediate Wi-Fi access at hand. I, I am, um, so I'm 35, I'm turning 35 in April, and so I do come from the, like, the old school of still having it printed, <laughs> Um, but I almost immediately, like when I have my printed Bible at hand, I also want my phone or uh, my laptop open so that I can start doing the research and doing some of that, like, well, what, a, what else has been written about this? What else has been said? Like, what are some of the words that are happening here? And so I think I like when I'm reading scripture to also read around scripture. And that also informs how I feel about the way that the lectionary is used, because sometimes the lectionary starts at certain verses, and it's really interesting to see what came right before, what came right after, what got left out, and start thinking about how does that get curated for a community. So I like to read around the edges of what's first offered. You know, if, if this is where authority or leadership wants me to go, like, what else is there for me to dig around in and find out um, that might have been left out because it didn't tell the story that authority wanted it to tell. And I'll admit, like as a pastor, that I will absolutely craft and, and consider which verses work in the context of worship because I want all of us to be moving in the same direction and not to be stuck on like, what's this one detail? What's that? Like, how do I keep us moving in a whole direction where the text is informing who we are rather than like, becoming a lecture on historical biblical context. Mm, thank you. 
as, as you start to read or as you encourage people to read, is there, is there like a, you, like a question you recommend allowing or, or excuse me, allowing people to hover in their mind as they begin to read scripture? That, and I think that could either be a question we bring to scripture or a question we allow scripture to ask us as we begin to read. Like, is there, would you have like things like that of other thoughts or questions that we just allow just to sit around? We've kind of touched on them a bit of like, you know, how does this relate to what was before or after? But yeah, any questions that we allow them to be there to help uh, guide the process? Um, I would say all of my questions or my devotional thoughts come down to what is this story trying to tell me or trying to say about God and about humanity, which, you know, weaves into it a lot of like, well, what is the context of the original author and what is their trajectory and what was being said about God and humanity at the time? And, you know, what might be trying to counterbalance that, but that's really what it comes down to me is like, what is, what might the author have been trying to communicate about God and about us? Yeah. For me, the, the question that I encourage other people to take up is a, a, the preaching, the question behind the preaching task, which is, what is the good news here? And if, if, we're, if scripture is a proclamation of, of the good news of God's presence among us, and um, first in the, in the body of the people Israel, and then in Jesus Christ, um, what is the good news? Uh, it, there should be something there. And if, it, if we're reading, reading the scripture as bad news, um, as, as condemnation for us or for the world or for our neighbors, then that probably means that we've, we've missed something along the way. So what, what is the good news here? Mm, thank you for that. Um, I don't know how you guys feel, but like, you know, you, you often, you know, you're preparing content in terms of, you know, sermons, Bible studies, when you're writing books, uh, you know, and I know often when I'm reading the Bible or even reading theology, like a lot of the initial thoughts are, oh, that's a good observation. I might, that could come in handy here or, um, oh, I should remember, right, like, that could be a good question for an interview or reading the book, you know, oh, that could be a good study. We could build something around here, you know, and, uh, and I think even more so now with, with social media, we, we get, uh, you know, everyone, everyone, I think, COVID might have revealed how much everyone wants to be a content creator, um, that that there's a lot of like, oh, I could you know, quickly screenshot these four verses with a, a little witticism or um, thing that there's a, a real quick move to go to content. And now sometimes you need to go to content because you got to front up to a community. But for a lot of us, even who aren't preparing worship, I guess maybe how do we, you know, we resist a bit of that, push to always be moving from I read something it must have a utilitarian purpose uh I was thinking about so one of my favorite movies is Bright Star uh it's about the poet John Keats and and his um lover friend um, Franny Bryce and uh he's teaching her about poetry she wants to learn about poetry and he has this line in here where she goes I she says I still don't know how to work out a poem and she and he says uh, a poem needs understanding through the senses. The point of diving in a lake is not immediately to swim to the shore, but to be in the lake, to luxuriate in the sensation of water. You do not work the lake out. It is an experience beyond thought. Poetry soothes, soothes and emboldens the soul to accept mystery. Yeah. So 
I guess, how do we luxuriate in scripture, uh, you know, enjoying the sensation of water? Let's see. Um, if you were just listening before, uh, Amy and Melissa were just pointing uh, at each at each other with ever increasing intensity. But <laughs> one of the things about what one of the fascinating things about scripture is that you know we've had this the same book and for those of us who grew up in the church so we've had our whole lives and 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 for oftentimes we're reading the same thing over and over again and that there is there is newness to it or that um sometimes something in our life or our world has to occur for something to finally make sense that didn't before and that we and I don't I think if you don't have the the repetition of of returning again and again, you you don't always have the opportunities to encounter, and um, because there there is something I think as what Emmy was saying, it's 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 our lives and God's life in this, um, re, in the revelation of God's life and Scripture, they're all sort of like these um it's like bouncing around and then they run into each other in different ways at different times, and. So I, I think about the Psalms. We continue to read the Psalms and, and there are Psalms that make a lot of sense to us when we're in the middle of a relationship crisis that, that don't when we're, you know, 16 and, and are memorizing them for whatever evangelical church Bible study we're a part of. And, um, but so glad that we have them in our minds now. And, um, so that idea of, of just returning again and again and knowing that something happens that we can't explain in, in that re-encounter. Yeah. Um, I love that you that you tied in that whatever evangelical tradition we were in as teenagers, because that informs so much of how I relate to scripture, not only just the evangelical tradition that I ran into as a teenager, but also when I'm working with um, the queer community, which like forms so much of how I understand my preaching and my mission right now. Um, the the burden of um, the worst parts of evangelical theology often press in on our interpretations and our relationship to Christianity, even when we don't want it to. And I think where I see that playing out, um, I know it's played out for me and I see it playing out for others is when we read scripture and something is confusing or puzzling or just troubles us that immediately we have to find the answer to it. Or even if we're, it's a random detail that seems, you know, extraneous to the story, we have to find out why is that there? You know, um, and this can go in all sorts of directions, like people reading the story of the Good Samaritan and saying, when the Samaritan gives the innkeeper two coins, um, you know, this is an old, uh, this is an old medieval interpretation is those are the two coins of the two core sacraments of baptism and communion, um, which makes no sense. Um, and yet, like we, we like, okay, well, if there's two coins and Jesus felt we had to mention two, we have to figure out like, why is that there? Um, or, you know, well, this story where it's violent, where God seems violent and to be commanding violence troubles me. I have to figure it out and I have to, you know, um, 
force my own interpretations onto it and, and extrapolate from whatever I understand onto the story. And to let the story just be as it is, is very, is troubling for us if we have come from a position of like scripture needs to have the answers. And if we don't understand it, that's something wrong with us. Or if we're coming out of, you know, an academic purpose where it's just, well, every time I read something, it's for, you know, a grade that I have to be able to understand and repeat. And we don't always let the Bible just be a story that we can step into and doesn't have to have answers to every question that the story raises, that we might have to read it over and over again, that we might have to read it this morning and go for a walk and then read it again in the evening, that we might have to come back to it in five years, um, that we might have to just say, I don't understand it and I don't need to, if I can walk away still with the conviction that God loves me and I should love others. Um, all, all of that, I think, plays into, um, yeah, it just plays, um, it just plays into this larger sense of like, what do we do with scripture is what if we don't do anything, but just let it exist as it is. And we partake in it without expecting something from it. I think that's very helpful. I think something I like to encourage people is, you know, post-Reformation we've seen, if you look at a church's often a church's statement of beliefs, the very first one is um, we believe the Bible to be blah, 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 blah. That we trust in scripture. Like that's first before any statement about God and Jesus and the spirit and whatever. Um, and, you know, that's kind of, you know, obviously a, a response to enlightenment about trying to set up a epistemological foundation that, that can't be shook because uh, it can be held. Um, but if we think of scripture more as something that participates in God's broader economy of salvation in God's broader um, mission in the world or work in the world, then you're right. You all of a sudden don't need it to, you know, shore everything up uh, or ground everything. Uh, it can be part of, it can be there to serve something bigger than itself, which is, you know, God's revelation that God loves you and uh, has set you free for the, to work for the freedom, liberation and flourishing of, of many. So, you know, or however you want to articulate that, but it becomes part of a broader, um, a bigger picture of God as the one who reveals out of uh, love for the, for the world. Yeah, Liam, as you were saying that, it just reminded me of that. It's, it's always interesting that the, that the Holy Spirit doesn't come before the scripture piece since, <laughs> since we can only interpret scripture by the, mm. by, by the gift of the Holy Spirit's anointing. And, and the, the image that was coming to mind is in the, at the Council of Jerusalem, how the, the thing that they begin with is, is by saying, well, all these, all these Gentiles are healing people and, and doing these miracles and professing Jesus. So now we have to do something with them. It's like, here's the situation. And yeah. um, so, so then we go to the scripture and based on this movement of the Holy Spirit, we, like it's, it's undeniably the movement of the Holy Spirit that we see among us, uh, what, what do we do with scripture now? Which is also why that is a, a, a foundational text for me in, in the inclusion of LGBTQ people in the church. It's mm -hmm. obvious that these are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, with, with God's gift, with God's love and care, uh, who are our ministers and our mm -hmm. preachers. So what do we do with our scripture in, in mm -hmm. light of that? Um, yeah, so it's just, it's just interesting because over and over again, 
we we see that scripture requires um, people in the Holy Spirit in order to be interpreted. Mm. And and to come to sometimes, you know, novel or unprecedented interpretations, like, you know, as, as the Jerusalem Council attests to. Yeah. Right. Yeah, mm. that's the thing. It's like everybody's, like, they're, everyone's always catching up to God, right? Like, God is always one step ahead of the church in Acts, and, and everybody's just kind of running to kind of get to where God is at. And um, it's never that people have sort of figured it out, like... God's already, God's already out there and, and you have to go, you have to catch up. And one of the, and I love that story too. That's one of my favorites um, is the, the sort of journey through Acts 10, 11, and 15. And then also I've, I've seen how that gets set up sometimes as this competition between Old Testament and New Testament, right? Of like the Old Testament had all these useless rules that people were enforcing and they were unfair. And then in the new Testament, we get Jesus and the Holy spirit. Usually it's more emphasis on Jesus. Um, and then we're freed from all these rules that were all terrible. and isn't that great, but you can already see in the Hebrew Bible, God starting to set up these moves that will be happening later. When you look at, um, Isaiah 56, which the eunuch was like running up towards, right. Um, in the eunuch in sorry, the eunuch in acts eight, um, who's the first Gentile convert is this person who in, um, by all accounts should not be part of the Christian church should not be in, you know, invited into any kind of, um, Jewish community or, you know, side to Jewish community. He's about to reach in the Isaiah scripture, Isaiah 56, where it says to eunuchs who keep my name, I will give a name that cannot be cut off. And so already we have these, this, this long expansive trajectory happening in God's vision for the world as, as we receive through scripture and to start to try to distinguish those and say like old Testament, bad, new Testament, good is just such a poor and lazy reading of what God has been doing in the spirit, in the scripture. I'll shout out um, Emmy's good friend, uh, Austin uh, Harker, who's a, a previous interview, whose book Transforming, like, you know, does like three chapters, I think, in the middle about that trajectory of the eunuch. It's all in the, within the, the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament. You know, it's not um, saying like it was like this and now because of Jesus, it, it's showing how that movement was happening uh, there. And I think that's really important. And, and I was thinking also, if, you're, if people are worried that maybe we're overplaying this whole, like, Acts 10 thing, remember, like, the author of Acts thought, like, I need, this is important, story is so important, I'm going to tell it three times. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, they want to emphasise it. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about maybe if you're trying to come to books of the Bible or authors in the Bible of more than one book uh, toward which we carry bar- baggage. Uh, either from personal experience or, or from secondhand warnings. So, so Emmy, you have a, a, a chapter about your kind of experience with Paul, uh, you know, from going, I just have to cut out all of Paul. He's, he's no good to, to a, a much different appreciation. And, uh, Melissa, you kind of opened the book with the story of being at the monastery and, and it's just a set readings and Titus is, is on the slate uh, for the day and, and that gets read out. Uh, and, and, and Amy, even earlier, you were talking about, you know, doing these Bible studies on uh, passages through the Old Testament and what people bring to those. And and that's real, right? It's real apprehension. It's it's real wounds. Um, it's real trepidation. So I'm not trying to, like, you know, these answers aren't glossing over that, you know. But if we're saying that we're following the lectionary, there's a good chance you're going to land on Paul uh, if you're doing all four. Uh, and who knows what else you'll get. Uh, so... I guess the question is, you know, how, how do you encourage people 
to start approaching these texts that we're convinced are, are, are way more trouble than they're worth. Um, so I was, I was a nerd growing up. I don't think that comes as a surprise to anybody who knows me now. Um, but it, it also offers a lot of context for how I related to scripture because there are so many, um, fantastical worlds that I have already learned how to step into. And so, um, the idea of stepping into scripture as another world, you know, sort of a, a, a a whole built world system that is different from mine, but not that different and also has something to say to who I am and what my world is like, even though there may be significant, you know, time, geographic, et cetera, distances. Um, that has been really helpful in sort of re-understanding when I don't, when there's parts that grate against me, how can I start to assume positive intent on the behalf of the author? Right, and I do the same thing with um, sometimes with Harry Potter. Although Cursed Child, I still deny ever happened. Um, but you know, like Star Wars and Buffy, and and all of the you know, like the X Files, and all of these you know, sci-fi and fantastical worlds that helped sort of curate who I was as a kid and a teenager. That re same relationship of understanding, like there's multiple authors that contribute to a single understanding of a world, and some of them give a view that I don't understand and doesn't help me understand myself or God better. And yet there are others who are participating in that same canon and creating the same world who can help me understand that other person. So trying to assume positive intent on the behalf of the authors and the communities that informed those authors, um, you know, again, like, what are they trying to say about God, which I think is this, you know, it, it, they're, they're two questions that are similar, right? What, it, what is this trying to say about God? And where is the good news are the same, like, we're hoping that whatever it's saying about God is good news, right? Um, that it has something positive to say to us about the master and creator of the universe and, and who we are in God's context. So trying to think like, what if this author actually cared about me? What are they trying to say over distance and time? through what they've written. And I think there's always this, these dual challenges of when do you speak your truth back to scripture? And when is, is scripture speaking a truth to you? And I think that's always the, the place where we find ourselves, you know, we don't want to end up sort of having this, having a scripture, a Bible that, that feels perfectly good to us all the time. And, and we've taken out all the hard things about it. And, and at the same time, there are, it, it emerges from a culture, from individual communities that, that affirmed slavery and the oppression of women and um, kept vulnerable people in marriages that they shouldn't have been in. And, and, and so we, we recognize that the, the, these are part of every culture that we're in. Um, but I don't know that there, I, I think I grew up with the sort of, there's the, the, um, you can get rid of the husk and then there's still the kernel beneath it. And, and it, it's, I think it's a little more complicated than that, that we, that there's, that the, the wrestling is, is, is deeper than that. And, um, and, I think, and oftentimes I think some, I mean, what you said before about, uh, there may be just seasons where 
we need to let, let things lie fallow for us. I, you know, and, um, I don't know that certain Psalms again will make sense to us until we, we have enemies who are truly pursuing our lives. Um, and, and it's okay to read those and think, Oh, this is just, this is, this is not the time for this. Um, I, and I mean, and the other possibility is, is again, is, is to again, gather with other people to study things. I know one of the, um, I, I give myself a yearly challenge. I teach Sunday school two of four quarters at my church. And one of those two is always a book of the Bible. And I always pick one that I don't understand. And because I don't understand it, I don't usually like it very much <laughs> or that it is one with just this, you know, a lot of baggage to it. And, and then I invite other people who I, I think probably have had similar experiences into that with me. And, and so last year we did Revelation, which is not a book I've spent a lot of time in, but because I grew up in evangelicalism and in Tim LaHaye, fantasy land, um, I just, I just don't really think about it a lot. And I just, it's not part of my, my faith tradition in any way. And then, uh, but I, I taught out of Brian Blunt's book and which is how the black church has, has read revelation as, as a source of hope and longing and, and that was really transformational for me and, and for people in my community. And so, so we also have all these other people who are writing things that invite us into how traditions that we, that aren't our own um, can help us to maybe hear scripture in new ways. And, and I think one of the, the pastoral roles that Emmy and I have and is, is you know, that we, we've been trained to read those books and be able to teach them in ways that, that our congregations can, can understand them and um, that they can become a part of then our interpretive lens so that that's continuing to reshape again, how we read scripture and in, in our communities um, and, and that goes on and on and on. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we're coming close to the end of our time. So obviously people are going to go and if they haven't already get fire by night and one coin found, uh, if you're going to buy it from a particular online behemoth, make sure people aren't on strike when you're doing it Don't cross online picket lines. Uh, but they're going to do that. And they're going to do the five star reviews and all that stuff. That's, that's just what the good listeners of love, rinse, repeat do. But if you were going to recommend another book, not these two, for people who are, you know, wanting to, you know, get further into scripture, wanting to read more and, and help fill out some of the world around it or, or to help guide that quest for good news, uh, let's, let's just throw out another recommendation for people as a, as a kind of, uh, as we're landing this plane. Um, my my next recommendation is always um, Rachel Held Evans's last book, Inspired, um, which was really uh, was really transformative for me, and um, I think really captures a lot of the idea of having a biblical imagination and being able to play more with the stories and how um, understanding context can actually make the stories more beautiful rather than turning them into sort of a museum piece. So I've I've really um, that's it's everybody loves searching for Sunday, but inspired is actually my favorite of hers. Um, so that's usually the first one I go to when people are like, okay, but what, what else, what else does this? Um, so that's, that's the next one after Melissa's obviously. 
floor. I am reading um, Hollis Phelps' book, uh, Jesus and the Politics of Mammon, right now. And that is, I think, a really important book as we're grappling now with the sort of unmasking in, in very real ways of the systems of corruption and hoarding and um, neglect of our of our social safety net here in the U.S. and I'm sure a lot of places around the world. And Hollis does a really nice job of helping to bring in economic theory, um, but also to read it through through the life of Jesus and, and perhaps putting together some a fuller picture of Jesus's response to, to wealth and mammon in a way that um, actually at the end feels livable. Like there, you know, it's it, I, not all of us are going to sell everything we have and, and give it to the poor. And, and there's sort of a fatalism, I think to that. And, and he does an excellent job of sort of bridging that gap um, and, and helping us to think about what we, what we can actually do with these, with these teachings before us. Mm. Thank you. I think that's something that, um, you know, as, as people read the Bible more, the more you read it, the more you live in its world, the more you start to see the uh, theological claims being made in the world, uh, often under the disguise of other kinds of language, but the other ways that people are speaking of making big claims about humanity and sinfulness and salvation. Uh, and, and hopefully you're then better resourced to uh, resist and offer good words uh, into that. Uh, I'll recommend one for the good folks. I'll recommend uh, When Mama Speaks, uh, Stephanie Buchanan Crowder's book. Uh, it's a womanist, approach, uh, looks at six maybe um, biblical mothers uh, and they're not necessarily all the ones you'd expect. Uh, so you get into like uh, Rahab and, and a few others that you, uh, people might not have encountered before, um, but it, it definitely shaped a lot of my thinking on, on a bunch of different uh, women and mothers and motherhood in the Bible and she has some excellent stuff on work in there as well, but they're really accessible, especially if you're looking to do a kind of something that can almost guide a bit of a personal study or a group study. So when uh, Mama Speaks is my one. Amy and Melissa, thank you so much for this. This has been a blast. Uh, is there anything you want to plug, anything you want to draw people's attention to, uh, you know, your own communities, your uh, Queer Grace got a shout out before as a, as, a, as a great online resource. Anything else you want to, you know, get people's attention to how can they stay connected with you and your your work follow me and emmy on twitter <laughs> that's a good place that i know we both are <laughs> and um yeah i again encourage you to get in touch with your your local sheriff's office if you're in the u.s and your um, to call your governor's office and continue to demand the release of at-risk prisoners. There's, there's absolutely no reason we need to have prison crowding and COVID outbreak among uh, that vulnerable population. Thank you. I'll just second that, do that. Um, <laughs> yes, come and bother me on Twitter or um, I'm also on Instagram if you wanna see pictures of my dogs, but yes, um, <laughs> you know, it's, um, this is such a weird time in our lives. And I think with the, the, the abundance of time that we have to us, it can feel like, well, we should be doing something to improve our, ourselves. Right. That's sort of the, mm -hmm. the idea that's being handed. Um, like, how are we, you know, 
who's homesteading and who's getting their sourdough started and who's like, you know, getting into their P90X or whatever. What is the Peloton? Peloton. Who's like rented their Peloton so that they can, you know, come out of the um, quarantine with washboard abs. But instead, what if we used five minutes a day to call and bother our political representatives at multiple levels across the spectrum, but especially those in our um, our local principalities, our cities, our towns, and our state to be, you know, effectively campaigning for changes to our societal structure that would allow us to better survive what's happening right now as a whole community. Excellent. Uh, what a place to end. Uh, thank you so much. This has been great. Amy and Melissa, thank you for joining us, folks. We'll see you around the bins.